Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is All Saints Sunday, the day we remember all the saints who have gone before us. But what if our loved ones were not believers? Join us for the message, Communion of the Saints. everyone and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is All Saints Sunday and All Saints is the day we remember all the saints who have gone before us. But there's a question some of us have. What if some of our loved ones were not believers? Well join us for our message today, Communion of the Saints. Please join me in the reading of the scripture. For the first part, we will be reading from 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we do know is this, when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, and all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now let's turn to Revelation 7, 9 through 10, and then we'll skip to 13 through 17. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lord, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in loud voices, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is steered who is seared on the throne, seated on the throne, sorry, forgive me, apparently I can't see, <laughs> who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And the one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, these are, the, are they who have come out of the great ordeal, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them for nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I always wanted to be one of those people that could speak multiple languages. 
As a pastor, it would be so helpful if I could speak Spanish. But more than that, I just always wanted to be, I just always thought it would be so great to be one of those kind of people that could go anywhere in the world and talk to whoever I met and really get to know the people, really get to know the culture of that particular place. Yet, alas, despite multiple attempts to build upon my high school German, I've never gotten much past beyond being able to order Wiener Schnitzel in a restaurant or to sing O Tannenbaum. Now, you may remember me in the past talking about how when my brother and I were teenagers that we had hosted a foreign exchange student from Istanbul, Turkey. His name was Osman, and he came to us already speaking three languages, And later, when he went to university, he met and married a young French woman who spoke six languages. When they moved to Turkey, she learned her seventh language, Turkish. Well, very, many years later, my brother and I went to visit Osman back in Turkey because Osman had since become the manager of a resort hotel on the Mediterranean coast there in Turkey. Well, while we were there, he threw a lavish dinner party, and of course we were there, and he also invited some local Turkish friends, and he also invited a local German television crew who was there shooting a documentary about Turkey. And I sat next to the Germans, and I tried valiantly to communicate and converse with my best high school German. They kind of snickered a little. And then they spoke to me in perfect English, (laughs) and I was able to have a wonderful conversation with them. They introduced their entire film crew, and I noticed that one member of their crew was not actually German. He was a native from South Pacific. So I looked around the room, and I looked around this table, and I realized around just this table, we have five different nationalities, And I could hear four different languages. And I remember thinking, this might be a little bit about what it'll be like in heaven. Where people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, will be feasting there at the heavenly banquet. In fact, at one point, Osman had... The, I wanted to say servants, it wasn't quite that. It was the employees, the, the hotel employees, literally bringing in a roast pig with an apple in its mouth. It was, it, it, was, it was just really just that wonderful, and it was delicious. Now, on All Saints Sunday, we celebrate the communion of the saints and the bond that all Christians share regardless of our respective cultures, ethnicities, or languages. And moreover, we share this bond with Christians who have gone before us, and Christians who will come after us. Or in other words, with all Christians everywhere throughout all time. Now the root of All Saints Sunday began in the early church when feasts were proclaimed to commemorate the death day of certain Christian martyrs. And as the church grew, these, there were more and more martyrs, and therefore there were more and more feasts. And so feasts also began to be celebrated to commemorate others who are recognized by the church as saints. In their earthly life, they'd exhibited such exemplary virtue or heroism that they were now firmly believed to reside in heaven. After a while, there were so many saints and so many feasts 
that the church tried to kind of streamline a lot of those feasts by proclaiming an All Hallows or an All Saints Day on November 1st. And the Feast of All Hallows would begin the night before October 31st and was thus All Hallows Eve, or as we have come to know it, Halloween. And revelers would go from house to house and ask for small little cakes known as soul cakes. And these revelers would wear costumes and masks to fool any evil spirits that might want to attack them or possess them. Well, as Protestants began to celebrate All Saints, we began to recover the older, more biblical sense of the meaning of the word saint to refer to all Christians, living or dead. And in some denominations, including the United Methodist Church, the celebration was moved from November 1st to the first Sunday in November. And the tradition grew then of commemorating all those in the congregation or somehow uh, um, associated with the congregation who have passed away since the last All All Saints Sunday. So on All All Saints, we honor the memory of those both in our church family and our personal families and friends who are as close as family who have gone before us. And we acknowledge and we celebrate the unbreakable communion that we share with all these saints that that have inhabited this earth, be they past, present, or future. Well, one issue that doesn't get discussed very much on all saints is the fate of our loved ones who were not Christians. Christian tradition from the very beginning of the church has been really of two minds on the salvation of non-Christians. And so we ask the question, are only Christians allowed in heaven? Or will others be among the great multitude there before the throne? Well, as is typical in Christian arguments, both sides have claimed scripture as their guide. A religious bestseller that came out several years ago has raised these questions for a new generation. This is a book, by the way, I, I hardly recommend. It was published in 2012, and it's a book entitled, Love Wins a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. And so in this book, evangelical pastor Rob Bell sketches what I think is a very convincing and a biblically-based argument that salvation remains a possibility even after earthly death. Now this, this view is a little bit less than what is called universal salvation, that is the belief that all persons who ever live are just automatically saved regardless. And it's also different from the idea known as Christian exclusivism, which believes that only Christians and only Christians will go to heaven. And I might add that this idea that Rob Bell has is also the position that was shared by C.S. Lewis and proposed in his wonderful book, which I also hardly recommend, called The Great Divorce. And this is this idea that salvation remains a possibility even after earthly death. Well, all these issues, though, can and have filled countless multiple volumes. And I've touched on the subject because I know that for some of us, we wonder how God's throne room can be heaven for us if not all of our loved ones are there. And so I want you to keep some of these biblical promises in mind. In the Gospel of John, for example, Jesus speaks of other sheep that must be brought into the fold. 
The book of Colossians teaches that God will, quote, reconcile to himself all things, and that would include all persons. God would reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And then the psalmist proclaims in that wonderful Psalm 139, If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the abode of the dead, God is there. And then Paul writes in this wonderfully famous verse from Romans 8, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's grace extends beyond the grave, and even death cannot separate us from the love of God. Well, what then can we learn from All Saints Sunday then about how Christians should face death? Well, one thing that some Christians have believed is that Christians deal with grief and death by denying their grief. In fact, Rob Bell, the writer of Love Wins, his father tells the story of his own father's death when he was eight years old. We weren't allowed to mourn because the funeral of a Christian is supposed to be a celebration of the believer in heaven with Jesus right now. But if you're eight years old and your dad, the breadwinner, just died, it feels different, sad. Grief is a natural human emotion and it's just a part of the way that God created us. So one can have Faith in the future and faith in God and still mourn the loss in the present and our losses in the past. Think about the fact that even Jesus wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus even though he was just about to raise Lazarus from the grave. Grief in truth is the price that we pay for love. And the only way we're ever going to avoid grief is to avoid love. One of my favorite quotes is from uh, TV writer, director, and producer Jamie Anderson, who says, Grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love you want to give but cannot. All that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and in that hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. Yet because of our Christian faith, while we grieve, our grief does have a different quality to it. And scripture illuminates this promise that we have from God. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. So we Christians do grieve, but we grieve differently from those who have no hope. As Chris read from our first scripture lesson from 1 John, 
Here we are reassured that we are God's children right now. But we're also reassured that that is not the end of the story. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Or in other words, God loves us right now exactly the way we are in this moment. But... God loves us too much to let us stay that way forever. Someday we will be like Christ. John of Patmos, who is the author of the book of Revelation, I think he paints a very vivid picture of our future lives where God will quote, where we will, uh, where, uh, quote, hunger will be no more and thirst no more, and God will wipe every tear from our eyes. As members of the church universal, we can be thankful for the lives of all those we have loved. Every life has its own lessons to be learned. Every life leaves its mark on those of us who follow. My mother died in 2012 and my father died in 2016. And I am so grateful that they were a part of my life as well as they were my greatest teachers. For 20 years, my mother taught the four-year-old's in Sunday school class, including myself. And even though I have a master's degree in theology, done much, much reading since then, to kind of paraphrase that best-selling book, all I ever really needed to know about God, I learned in four-year-old Sunday school class. But we must also remain cognizant of the way that our lives then in turn touches others. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that though Abel has died, through his faith he still speaks. And likewise, our faith and the way we live our lives will speak to others long after we have died. Because there's no substitute for loving Christian parents and thoughtful, caring Sunday school teachers and youth ministers who share their life in ways that will resound far into the future. So I ask, will others be able to see and experience the love and grace of Christ embodied in us and in our lives? What are our lives telling others about the love of Christ? And what message of Christ are we proclaiming through our lives and our actions that are going to reverberate far into the future? Our deaths are, in fact, a facet of God's grace. Many of you are familiar with Steve Jobs, who is the founder of Apple Computers. And since his death in 2011, quotations from his 2005 graduation speech at Stanford University have been widely distributed. And he told the graduates that day, because during this time he was already uh, terminally sick with cancer, remembering that I'll be dead soon, is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fell away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important, 
There is no reason not to follow your heart. And friends, in some way, we are all terminal. This prospect of death is what keeps us Christians focused on what's really important. That is following God's call and doing the work that God would have us do. Because we don't have all the time in the world. We have a finite length of time on this earth to become a part of the infinite will of God. Several years ago, my aunt died after her third bout with cancer. And after the funeral, her son, my cousin, asked me essentially, where was his mother now? And I reminded him that love is the most powerful force in the universe. I recently uh, watched again the movie Interstellar, and there's a wonderful quote from there that comes right at the climax, I think, of the, of the film. Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that even if we can't understand it yet. Because truly love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never ends. At the death of his beloved relative, William Penn wrote that those who love beyond this world are never separated. Death cannot kill what never dies. And love never dies. We do well to remember that we believe that that if we believe that our loved ones have gone to be with God, and if we believe that God is everywhere, then in effect, our loved ones are still with us, even if we cannot necessarily always see them. And so remember this later when we, when we celebrate communion. When we partake in the elements, we are partaking in communion with all Christians everywhere throughout time and space, in all places, and in all times. We become something, we become a part of something that is far larger than us, far larger than our congregation, far larger than the United Methodist Church. We are in effect surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And through this we receive a foretaste of glory divine and an eternal place in the communion of the saints. Please pray with me. God of time and space, in your hands you hold all that you have made. Through your Holy Spirit you breathe life into all creation. And without you there is no life, for our lives are hidden in you. Today we remember those we have loved, people of your creating and your saving. Help us to believe that none are forgotten by you. And grant us the comfort of your peace. Through Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord. Amen. And now I would like for us to go into our All Saints liturgy directly. I would invite all of those who are partaking in this liturgy to come and gather just right here in this area where I am pointing, just right here, and come and gather in this area. We're going to be reading... Uh, we've been fortunate this year in that we have not had any of our own church members die, but several of our church members have experienced the death of loved ones, both 
uh, family and friends. So as each name is spoken, we will place a flower, a white rose, into the vase, and we will light a remembrance candle. And some of these flowers will be placed by uh, members of our own congregation. Some will be placed by me for those members that are not here today. So, starting then now with our liturgy, and please follow along. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. So let us give thanks for these brothers and sisters in Christ, to whom God has granted rest from their labors. Mildred Allen. There we go. Melinda Allred. Esperanza de Arredondo. Stay here, uh, Juan. Jose de la Rocha. Leo Giles. Willie Glass. Andy Lipscomb. Herschel Norod. Margie Parth. Dennis Powell. Lloyd Schultz. Betty Wright. Almighty God, we give you thanks for these, your servants, who we remember today. Grant us grace to follow them as they followed Christ. Bring us with them to, tho to those things no eye has seen nor ear heard, which you have prepared for those who love you. Give us faith to look beyond touch and sight, and seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Enable us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Bring us at last to your eternal peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, receive this benediction. May the God of both the living and the dead bless you and keep you until that day you find your eternal home before the throne of the Lamb. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we begin a new three-part sermon series on the biblical character of Jacob. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.